bundling up at like when it's not frigid, but yeah. it's you know. Well, it's it's warm something. Yeah, it, I mean it's cold, but not horrible, horrible. So. Amen. We're going to go ahead and allow the kids, third grade and below, to be dismissed downstairs to E-Kids and let them head out this way. Word for us and uh, appreciate you have, have you being with us today and we're looking forward to hearing God's word. Thank you, Pastor Bird. Have you ever bought something that needed to be assembled? Probably all of us have. A lot of things seem to need to be assembled these days when you, when you buy it. Uh, maybe in your eagerness you started to put it together, and then halfway through you recognized that you probably should have read the instructions. Uh, I'm sure that's happened to all of us. I remember a few years ago, we had a very good friend in Norway, some good friends who uh, gave us a kayak. And this was a very unusual kayak because it wasn't one that comes in one single piece. It was one that came in a sack. It had all these structural pieces in a big bag. And uh, I remember the first time my son and I started uh, putting it together, you know, we're doing all kinds of stuff with all the pieces and and they were, they were lettered and numbered, so we could kind of see. They were also color-coded a bit. So we, we started working at it probably for an hour. Then finally, we got to the bottom of the sack, and we found the instructions. <laughs> and it, the instructions had illustrations showing what it all looked like and how all the pieces should come together. And it was like a revelation. We had the kayak put together in a few minutes after we found those pictures and found found that illustration. Well, in our ministry, God has given us the task of establishing churches. And he he has given us vital instructions in the New Testament. Now, a lot of people today are trying to put together the church or a church without really thoroughly understanding God's instructions. The book of Ephesians is a book that really is very helpful because it actually has illustrations or pictures of the church. They're verbal pictures. It's a description, but but it really helps us to understand what is the church? What, What is the church? What should it look like? And how should it function? So in our ministry, we have focused on the book of Ephesians over the past uh, year or so. Well, especially when we started this ministry in Vestfold, uh, helping people to understand what is the church. And I would like to share some of that with you this morning. Uh, We're not going to go through the whole book of Ephesians, but we're going to look at Uh, You might feel like we're going through the whole book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking at some pictures of the church. Uh, 
in the book of Ephesians. And before we do that, let's just pray and ask for God's blessing on his word this morning. Father, we thank you that, that you are a God who communicates. I thank you that you have communicated your love in a personal way through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you gave him to die for us as we have sung about this morning. And I thank you also, Lord, that, that you have communicated to us your plans for the future and your plans for the present. And that includes the church. So I pray, Lord, that you'd give us wisdom and insight into your word today, that we would have a very clear picture of what it is that you are trying to do in the world today, that we would not plans with our own wrong ideas, but instead, Lord, that we would, that we would follow what you have given in your word, and that it would be a blessing then to ourselves and to others. We pray these us name. Amen. I'm going to share with you three pictures of the church that we find in the book of Ephesians. The first picture that, that is given to us in Ephesians is that the church is a spiritual body. Just like you have a human body, uh, the church is likened under the, unto the human body. It's a spiritual body. Body, And I'd like for you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of, his, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The context that we're reading here is a prayer that the Apostle Paul makes for the Ephesian believers. He prays that they will be enlightened spiritually, that they will be enlightened concerning the glory of God, and concerning the gospel, and concerning the church. And in this context, we see Christ as our exalted head. He is the one who was crucified, who was buried, who rose again, and, and God seated him at his own right hand. The beautiful picture in Ephesians is that just as Christ is exalted at the right hand of the Father, so we as believers are exalted there with him. Because we read in, in chapter 2 and verses 4 through 6, But God, who is rich in mercy, 
For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we as believers have an exalted position with our head, our glorified head, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Father who gave Christ to be head over all things to the church. And the church here in chapter 1, as we read already, the church is described as the fullness of Christ. That's a little hard for us to wrap our minds around, but can you imagine a body without, I'm sorry, can you imagine a head without a body? Christ's fullness is the church. And it's not as if Christ is lacking anything. But this is just what God has made. He has, he has united us with Christ in such a way that, that we are glorified with him and seated with him in heaven. And we are part of a body. And, and he is the head of that body. This is the, the illustration or the picture of the church that we see, first of all, as we start our journey through the, the book of Ephesians. Now, if you think about the human body, all the members of your body respond to your head. You know, if I, if I move my arm, it's because my head says, arm, move. And if I move my fingers, it's because my head says, fingers, move. If I pick up uh, a banana and eat it, it's because my, my head says, you need something to eat. Eat that banana. And I pick it up and I eat it. And so if you can just picture that uh, as the way that uh, God has designed the church to function, that we as his members are continually responding to our glorified head, the Lord Jesus Christ, in, in everything that we do. Also notice that in the human body, the human body is designed to work together. My arm is very useless if it's cut off and lying on the floor by itself over there. It, it can't do anything. It can't do the body any good. Uh, it, it's, it will die over there. You know, and a lot of people today, a lot of so-called Christians think that it's good enough for them to be saved. They don't need to be a part of the church. But that couldn't be farther from the truth. We are designed to be part of the body. We are designed to function together, to work together as a body so that, so that uh, my arm is picking up that banana and eating it. And uh, I won't, my whole body won't get nourishment if the parts are not cooperating together to make that happen. And so it is in Christ Every member is relating to all the other members in the body and taking their signals from their head so that the body is nourished and built up. That's God's design. That's his picture for the church. There's something else that's very important about this body picture, and I'd like to show you that in chapter 2. 
Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 13. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. When we think of the church as a body, we have to recognize that Jesus Christ is the creator of the church. He's the one who has brought us together as, as one body. And the context here that we're reading in chapter 2 is it's talking about two warring groups of people who were completely separate before, Jews and Gentiles. They were separated by the law because the law caused the Jews to stand out as different from all other people. And they were the ones who enjoyed the privileges and blessings as God's people. But the Gentiles were alienated. They were on the outside. And the Jews themselves were in deep trouble, as we read in the Old Testament, because even though they had God's blessing and his law, they could not keep it. They failed time and time again, and they, they were far away from God. They weren't as far as the Gentiles, because this passage says they were near to God. The Gentiles were alienated. But Christ did something about that problem. By dying on the cross, he rendered the law unnecessary. The law is not necessary because Christ, in his death, satisfied the demands of the law. So that now, Jews are reconciled to God through the cross of Jesus Christ. And Gentiles, who were far away, are likewise reconciled to God through the death of Christ on the cross. Jews and Gentiles have been brought together in one body, a body that could only be created by one person, and that is Jesus Christ. He's the one who is our peace, who has brought us together in this one body. We are together reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. As it says in verse 15, Jesus created in himself one new man out of the two, Jew and Gentile. And both are reconciled to God. How do we apply this truth about the body? The fact that, that we are a body related to our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the book of Ephesians applies it for us in chapter 4. So if you'll look with me at chapter 4 and verse 11. It says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, 
unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. These verses that we've just read refute some false ideas about the church that are prevalent today. Uh, One is the, the social view. Many people today view the church as an optional social organization, kind of like a club that you can join if you want to, or if you don't want to, you don't have to bother to join. But you can see from this passage in Ephesians 4 that God designed the church to have a structure. He provided leaders that build up the the members, and the members of the body are the ones who do the ministry. The members are the ones who do the, the work of the ministry. And of course, you know, that's another false idea. Some people think that, you know, the pastors and the deacons, they're the ones who do all the work in the church, and everybody else is just along for the ride. But that's not the way the body is pictured here, is it? It's pictured with the leaders equipping the saints for the work of the ministry that God has called them to do. And then the body functions just like like we read earlier in the book of Ephesians. It functions like a body where all the members are working together. This is uh, brought out even more as we read a little bit farther in this passage. Uh, Look at verse 15 in chapter 4. It says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You think about how your body works. Uh, You have cells in your body, and those are living. But the cells in your body disappear, they die, and they have to be replenished. They have to be replaced. And so your body is in that continual process of replenishing itself. And that's exactly how the church is pictured here as working, that all the members are, are joined together and they're working in such a way that the whole body is edified, the whole body is built up through the working of every member. So the question then is, where are you in that picture? How are you serving in the body? What is the place that God has put you in? That's a question that we all need to answer uh, before God, and we're all different. We're, We're not all the same according to Scripture. We all have different gifts and different abilities, but we all have a role to play in the body. There's another beautiful picture of the church in Ephesians, and that is that the church is a holy temple. The church is a holy temple. Look with me at chapter 2 again. Now, this time we'll look at verse 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. We see that in this picture, this holy temple that is the church, that there is a foundation that is laid. It says here that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, our immediate thought when we hear that word prophets is, oh, that must be the Old Testament prophets. But that's not the case. In the book of Ephesians, the, the word prophets is used, used consistently to refer to the New Testament prophets. And I can uh, show you what I mean by that. If you look at chapter 3 and verses 4 through 6, you'll see what I mean. Here in chapter 3, Paul is explaining that the church is a mystery that was not known in the Old Testament. And he writes, Whereby... When ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So it's clear that that Paul is referring to the New Testament prophets who were living at the same time with the apostles, that it, that. In the Old Testament, they, the church was a mystery. It was not revealed to the prophets of old. It was revealed specifically to the apostles and the, the New Testament prophets of the first century. That is the foundation that was laid. Now today, there are some people who claim to be prophets and apostles. You've heard of people like that. They claim to have a word from God, but I can tell you right now that they are false prophets. They are false apostles because the scripture tells us that the church is built on a foundation and that foundation was laid in the first century by those apostles that we know in scripture and by those prophets who lived with them. So it's very important for us to Get that straight because it can be, we can be easily led astray by those who claim to be apostles and prophets, but they are not. They are lying. Another thing that's important in this passage is that Jesus Christ, in this foundation, he is the most important part of the foundation. He is the cornerstone. Now, I'm not so uh, knowledgeable concerning building but I have a brother-in-law who is a masonry contractor. And I know from him that when a building, you know, when a foundation is laid, and a building, by the way, only has one foundation, it's not repeated over and over again, it has one foundation. When, when that foundation is laid, the first block that is laid is critical, the cornerstone, because every other angle in that building has to align with that cornerstone. Otherwise, the building will not be built properly. And so Jesus Christ 
is the cornerstone of the church. The, the whole building is lined up with him and with his apostles and prophets. That is the foundation that, that God has built the church on. And guess what? We are built on that foundation. And the job is not done yet. Christ is continuing to add stones to the building. And that's where we come in today. We have been built into the temple here. It says in, verse, in chapter 2 and verse 22, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Now that's pretty exciting to think about. We read about the temple in the Old Testament and how fantastic that was that God's glory came into that temple and it was so fantastic that the priests had to stop ministering because God's holy presence was there. But God is telling us here that now his holy presence is going to dwell inside us, his church. Now, in the first chapter of Ephesians, we learn that every single believer is sealed with God's Holy Spirit on the day that they're saved. So we are individually indwelt by God's Spirit. But here in chapter 2, the emphasis is a little bit different. The emphasis is that God dwells within us as a community of people. And his purpose is that, that the church would be a holy temple, a place where God can dwell with his people and in his people. It's an awesome picture. And it should really motivate us. It should motivate us to live godly and holy lives. Because we are God's holy temple. But there's, there's another purpose for this building. And we find it in chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Verses, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 are kind of a purpose statement in a way for the church. It says, To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We don't often think about this, but God has a heavenly purpose for this holy temple, for this building. And it is to show and to showcase his multifaceted wisdom. We, we often think of the church as having its most meaning here on earth. But in reality, God's intention is that the church have meaning in heaven. You know, we know in scripture that when a person gets saved, that the angels in heaven rejoice. Why are they rejoicing? They are rejoicing because they are seeing sinful people regenerated and added as living stones into a holy temple that God is building. And they're in awe. Every time they see a rotten, dirty sinner saved and added to the church, it's like, oh, wow, look what God just did. And over and over again, that's repeated so that the church is continually bringing glory to God in heaven. 
The, the angels and even the demons are witnessing the wisdom and the greatness and power of God in the church. This is God's eternal purpose for the church. Once again, I say, how can we diminish the importance of the church? We're not just saved for our own benefit, but we are saved to bring glory to the one who saved us, to the God who put together this wonderful and beautiful holy temple. One more picture, and then we will stop this morning. The last picture that we see in the book of Ephesians, the last illustration of the church that I'll share with you this morning is that the church is a beloved bride. This you know already. You're very familiar with Ephesians chapter 5. But let's just consider that briefly this morning as we uh, get the full picture of the church. Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Christ gave himself in love for his bride, the church. He gave his life for the church. Christ cleansed the church through the washing of water with the word. That's really the gospel. The gospel of our salvation through which we are cleansed by faith. And Christ, one day in the future, is going to present the church to himself as his bride without spot or wrinkle. We're not there yet, are we? We see, we see a few blemishes in the church today. We see a few blemishes, maybe more than a few, in ourselves. We recognize that, that uh, God has started a work in us, and he is in the process of cleansing us day by day, sanctifying us. But in the future, we will all be there. We will all be assembled as a bride that is, that is worthy of the Savior who gave his life for us. There's another beautiful truth in this passage, and that is that as the bride of Christ, we are inseparably united with him. We see that at the end of this chapter, verses 29 through 31, chapter 5. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery but I speak concerning Christ and the church. 
I'm thankful that God gave us human marriage because marriage gives us just a a small window (laughs) into the union that we have with, with Christ. In marriage, God's intention is uh, that a husband and wife come together in a beautiful one flesh relationship and two become one. And because we experience that on the human level, it gives us just a little bit of understanding of how, how it can be that, that we as the church are joined together with Christ in a union that can never be broken. Unfortunately, many human marriages fail today. People fail to keep their promises. But that does not alter the fact that our union with Christ can never be dissolved. It is one that is, that is forever sealed in heaven. And even though the picture of marriage, human, or the picture of, of our human marriage may fail, This heavenly marriage will never fail. We have been so united with Christ that we are one with him. That is such a great encouragement to me to understand uh, that that I cannot be uh, taken away from Christ. We learn in Romans chapter 8 and verse 35, uh, the Apostle Paul asks the question there, who shall separate us? From the love of Christ. And then he goes through a long list of of possible things, and he names things that are spiritual, like demons and uh, hell. He names things like life and death. He, He names all kinds of powers. And the answer to the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is that there is nothing. And there is no one who can separate us from the love of Christ. That's an amazing thing. So the question that that I would ask you with, or that I would leave you with and ask you this morning as we conclude, recognizing that Jesus Christ loved the church as his bride and he gave himself for the church, Do you love the church as much as God does? Probably not. We all could grow in that. But I would encourage us to recognize that that God loves the church. His purposes are all wrapped up in the church. This is why we labor in Norway. We labor for the sake of God's glory and for the growth of his church. And I trust that you as a church here in Clarksburg will have a a clear understanding of God's purposes in your individual lives and for your corporate body here. Remember that the church is a body with one head, one glorified head, the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is a holy temple that God is building and you've been added to it. And the church is a glorious bride that Christ will one day present to himself. May we all respond to this truth the way God would have us to today. Let's just close in prayer this morning. Father, we rejoice in your truth. 
Lord, as we consider it, we are in awe of your wisdom. We're in awe of your mercy and your grace. We're in awe of your love for us. Forgive us, Lord, for not loving you the way we should. I pray, Father, that you would in, inspire us by the word that we have heard today, that we would be drawn closer to you. And Lord, that your purposes would be fulfilled through your church. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.